there's no moments in which you are creative and the other you're a father. It's all about here in your mind. I cook with my mind. I'm a father with my mind. Hello, and welcome to the Fatherly Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua David Stein. My guest today is one of the most well-known and well-respected chefs in the world, Massimo Bottura. You know, when you think of an Italian chef, you think of a fat guy slinging red sauce, singing opera. But Massimo is as skinny as a wire, sharp as a knife, and you're more likely to hear him bopping along to Charlie Parker. In fact, he loves the bird so much he named his son Charlie. Well, actually, Carlo, but we'll get to that. And the food at his restaurant, Osteria Francescana, is unlike anything you've ever had anywhere. One of the reasons, I guess, it was named best restaurant in the world last year and second best this year. Anyway, Massimo's a dad too. He has a daughter named Alexa and a son named Charlie. Charlie has a rare genetic disorder which necessitates constant and creative care back in Modena, where the family lives. But Massimo and I caught up in New York, where he was to promote his new book, Bread is Gold, in which he chronicles his 2016 project in Rio de Janeiro, where he set up a soup kitchen in a favela and invited the best chefs in the world to stop by. Alexa was actually in the room while we were recording, and I couldn't help but ask her how it was to grow up with Massimo as a father. It must have been a real trip. Welcome to the Fatherly Podcast. My name is Joshua David Stein. I hope you enjoy yourself. Massimo, say something. One, two, three, three, two, one... Yes, yes, I'm here. I'm Massimo Bottura. Say something profound. I want you, baby. <laughs> I guess that's profound. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is we've spoken before, yeah. and you are obviously an extremely creative dude, because I interview a lot of dads. How you balance being a father, being a chef, and being... Creative, creative. And being uh, straight and being crazy. Yeah, uh, I think is uh, is life. Is part of life. It, there's no moments in which you are creative and the other you're a father. Yeah, it's all about here in your mind. I cook with my mind. I compress my passion into my life. You know, my passion are food, are uh, music, art. I live that every day. It is exactly how I transfer all my passion to all my guests, my staff, my kids. I'm trying to do it in a very open way. That's why I always thought that Osteria Franciscana is a family. It's mm -hmm. a very large family. And uh, I'm trying to transfer this concept with Lara and with Alexa. Lara is your Charlie. Wife. Charlie. Lara is my wife. Uh, Charlie is my younger son and Alexa is my older daughter um, to them and be part of the family, join uh, all my guys. They're when, their age now. <laughs> when did you have kids in your career? Alexa was 96. I was very struggling. And Charlie is 2000. It's one of the hardest period of the career when I was cooking exactly the same concept that I'm cooking now, but no one was understanding. So that was a very, very strange period. And um, suffering and struggling and uh, 
I was selling everything I had to pay the bills at the end of the month. That was bad. But, I think that's a know. moment of having kids for a lot of people, whether they're overtly creative or creative in their own way, is a really tough moment where you think, okay, am I going to be great doing what I know that I want to do, even if it's not commercially viable right now? Or am I going to make the sacrifice? I couldn't. I couldn't stop doing what I was doing. I always believe in my ideas. I always thought that I was right and uh, all these gastronomic critics, they were wrong. So you had your daughter in 96 and your son yeah. in 2000. Yeah. What were those first years like for you? With Alexa, everything was very easy. She was very easy going. She was living very close with Lara and she absorbed all the culture. We have uh, a Jake and Dino's Chapman's culture in the house, very provocatory, like called fuck face. You Say know, that, sorry? Fuck face. <laughs> what is it? It's a sculpture uh-huh. by Jake and Dino's Chapman. All the um, Alexa's friend, they were coming and uh, visiting uh, her in the apartment and they were looking at that like, what the hell is that? And Alexa, ah, oh, don't worry, it's just a piece of art. Called fuck you know, face. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's part of this, yeah. as uh, listening to Billie Holiday, Charlie Parker, Nina Simone, or Mozart, it's the same. For us, it's like, oh, iron and wine. It doesn't make difference. We are there, we have that kind of mind, we are obsessed about quality, and I'm trying to transfer that to her. And she was absorbing all these, you know, idea, culture, passions. Charlie has a lot of problems. He has uh, DNA problems and uh, it's kind of difficult for him to live a normal life. So we try to live a life as normal as we can. But in the choice of life, we push Alexa to leave the house and go and study outside of Italy because uh, we didn't want her to be part of the family at 360 degrees because otherwise it would be so normal for her to take care of Charlie. And she has to live her life. She has to have the right to live her life and develop her own ideas, blah, blah, blah. What's Charlie's diagnosis? Uh, It's like he has a DNA problem, yeah. And there's like uh, dysmorphosis and retarded in a development. And um, he has the left part uh, of his brain that is cancel what he learned. And uh, mm-hmm. he has to start all over again all the time. But he's doing very, very well. In the beginning, we could never have hope to think that he could write or read. Right. Now he can do it. He can learn and he can uh, point on geography and uh, math and uh, language. You- he speaks English better than anyone else. I was wondering if you feel that you've used this openness to the world and creativity which has served you in the restaurant world and professionally as a parent, especially dealing with Charlie and the challenges that he presents. Yeah. In 2011, we got the three star, we got chef choice, we got best chef in the world for the academy in Paris. And a journalist asked me, so how can you manage all this success in everyday life? I said, listen, When you go and you have a therapy in a session with uh, your son or you see the show at the end of the year, you really go down on earth immediately. Your feet are grounded and more than that, it's time to give back sometimes. And uh, that's what we did.
If you think about the new project we have now. Masmo Bator is pointing to his new book, yeah, Red is Gold, yes, yes. out by Fiden. Uh, this is tells about a project in which you worked at the Milan... Uh, Universal Exposition. Universal Exposition. Invited a bunch of chefs to come in, cook with, not food waste per se, No, but no, no, no. Ordinary ingredients. That were marked for some reason not for sale or inedible yeah, to yeah. be sold. Not to be too overwrought in a poetic way, but I also wonder if that approach of looking at the ingredients you have, not measuring it against some sort of ideal, but being open to what you have has also helped you raising your children, being creative in how you approach Charlie's path in life. You're not trying to carve out a path that you think is right, but be responsive to the path that works for him. If you look at the overripe tomato, you look at the brown bananas, breadcrumbs, bruised zucchini. But what's wrong with that? Just ask the right question to these products. You cannot ask for like three days old bread to go on the table and be eat like with fragrant and beautiful smell. And you have to grate it and make breadcrumbs and create amazing things, especially some uh, breadcrumbs noodle, make the dough with breadcrumbs, uh, eggs, uh, parmigiano, a little bit of nutmeg, press into a chicken broth and it's coming out the most delicious noodle you ever taste. But if the bread is just baked, just serve on the table, is enough, it's perfect. Or is one day old, so you have to slice that and toast it in the oven a little bit and make a perfect bruschetta. Yes, I totally, totally agree. But there's also something that inspires me and Lara, especially Lara, to create a new project that is going on now in Modena. We had this idea of transferring the knowledge of the grandmother to these special childs because their daughters, they don't want to work and roll pasta like they did. The normal kids... They care more about the cellular phone and the Facebook and the Instagram and stuff like that. And these kids, they don't have any hope for the future after the high school. So we had to do something to help them, to stay together, to feel comfortable with themselves. So we are sponsor of the soccer team, of the volley team. Also, we create an association called Il Tortellante. They make tortellini, the handmade small sort of dumpling, super traditional in Modena. So the grandmother and a couple of butchers, they prepare the dough, they prepare the pasta, and they are filling those tortellini and they're selling that. It starts like that, you know, as an idea. Then from five kids, they arrive. 10. From 10 to 16, so 16, 20, now they are 30. And they're and making... They're all special needs children in yes, Modena. Yes, and they're making a lot of tortellini, and the tortellini are really special. As soon as they do it, they're sold out. Because yeah. everyone is asking for those tortellini. My grandmother always said, the handmade tortellini are one different from the other. I said, these are the best tortellini in the world, because one is like this, the other is like this, and you know, it's like... Wow. They're they're human tortellini. Yeah, like very you. human tortellini. Yeah. And we'll be back after a quick word from our sponsor, Hum by Verizon. The Fatherly Podcast is brought to you by Hum by Verizon. No one wants to be stranded on the side of the road, especially when you have little ones in the car. 
But since the road is an unpredictable place, it helps to have Hum by Verizon, the connected car system that assists and empowers drivers. Now you can check your car's health from your phone. And if you have questions, you can connect to a mechanics hotline for expert, unbiased advice, and even get quotes on repairs. Need help on the road? Hum works with a nationwide network of mechanics and can send a tow truck out to your location. And if Hum detects a crash, it can automatically notify emergency services. It's a smart way to stay on top of your car's health and keep your family safer on the road. Get Hum and get where you're going. Learn more at hum.com. Welcome back to the Fatherly Podcast. Let's jump right back into it with Chef Massimo Botora. Your wife is American? My wife is from New York, yeah. Do you find you have an Italian way of raising kids and she has an American way? Actually, in the house, she's the boss, totally the boss. She's trying to raise the kids in a very balanced way, very Italian in a way, eating very healthy food, fresh ingredients. On the other side, she's very free. She believes in uh, many different directions in uh, Anglo-Saxon way of thinking. What's been the biggest challenge for you as someone who was raised Italian in terms of American parenting style. The freedom of traveling everywhere like that. I was so worried. I'm always worried. Alexa, why did you call me, say you arrived? Okay, come on, Dad. I'm in Washington. I'm not in uh, right. Burkina Faso, you know, in yeah. the middle of... This is something that my mom always uh, want me to do. Just call her. Just to say, I'm okay. Italian moms and Jewish yeah. moms are like yeah. very similar though. Yeah. What about discipline? Discipline. Hold on. Alexa, yeah. if you want to come and join... No, please stay there. <laughs> <laughs> discipline, I'm trying to do that, but... Uh, no, there's nothing I can do. Being in Osteria, but I'm raising Davide. He's my sub chef. He works with me since he's 18 as my son. Yeah. He has an incredible discipline, with incredible respect, and he's like so focused on what is he doing. But if I try to teach Charlie this kind of discipline, mm, <laughs> would it Alexa, really work? Tell. <laughs> That's just not a thing. Well, we're welcoming to the podcast Alexa uh, Botora. Yes. How old are you? I am 21. I'm sure you've been listening from the end of the table. How have you experienced your dad as a dad? My dad was a very interesting person to grow up with. And my mom and dad are not your traditional Italian parents. They definitely are not going to call you every three seconds and check up on you. They were very independent. I was very independent from a very young age. And especially with Charlie coming into the picture, Obviously, being the older sibling, I was used to having my parents just adore me and always take care of me. And then Charlie came in and with his disabilities, I had to figure out exactly how my dynamic with them was going to change and was changing. How um, old were you when Charlie was born? I was four. I was going on four. I was still very young, but imagine for a four-year-old with any brother or sister relationship, you have a new person in the house and you have yeah. to share the love of the parents. But with Charlie, obviously, because he needed so much attention and care, it was just a complete 360 turnaround for me. The restaurant played such a big role in Charlie's upbringing because the guys at the restaurant love him as if you were their own little brother. Do you feel that you've always connected to your dad through food or is it through creativity or? My dad and I have very different opinions on very different things. And I remember growing up, especially 
obviously in the rebellious teen years, we would fight constantly. It was always bickering between him and I. Was, he said something and I had to contradict him. There was no way I yes. could agree with him on anything. That really? Was, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. I removed that. But every time we sat down, especially when we had our Saturday afternoon lunches together, even just a simple plate, like a simple pizza, we always knew that we knew what we liked and this was what we liked and we loved talking about the ingredients and listening to the chef come out and tell us about the ingredients. So I feel like my dad and I have always had this passion. Then my grandma, my dad's mom, she was this incredible cook and that was our meeting point. She was the one, the peacekeeper between my dad and I. She yeah, really because uh, when uh, she was in trouble with me, she was usually spending lunch with my mom. With you. Yeah. She loved to cook for Alexa. So she was like, so Alexa, what I'm going to make you today? Some tagliatelle ragu? Do you want a tortellini? Do you want the passatelli? Yeah. Do you want she this? She would make anything. I would That's... get there and she would say, what do you want to eat? I'll make anything for you. So it's been a struggle to not have her around anymore. When did she pass? She passed January of 2014. 14. 14. The last year she wasn't extremely mobile, so she would watch her mass on TV, for yeah. instance. She had been sick for a while, but we were able to spend Christmas with her, our whole family. We all went to her house, and my dad cooked. He rarely cooks at home, yeah, so it was never. nice, except for Christmas Eve dinner. All our family, all his whole to, family to is super family. excited. <laughs> yeah, but they're like 25. Yeah, you know? it's an enormous dinner. You only like yeah. cooking for masses of people. No, sometimes after Christmas, there's all this leftover, oh, yeah. and we do all this dinner with leftover, like the souffle of leftover panettone is yeah. much better than the panettone itself, right. you know, because it's like a souffle made with the same flavor, but as a souffle, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. My friends love it. It's funny because <laughs> on Christmas Eve, we have our dinner with our relatives. Christmas lunch, we go, it's just our close, tight family. And then Christmas dinner, all my friends come over because they know that there's leftover from the night before. <laughs> and so for the past like three, four years, it's been this tradition that my friends just come over and my dad finishes all the leftovers and we have the leftovers. Cool. It is true. We'll be right back with a special edition of the Fatherly and Daughterly Questionnaire after a quick word from our sponsor, TLC. When your baby has a baby, it's all hands on deck. TLC's new series, Unexpected, explores the ups and downs of three pregnant teens who are all children of teen mothers themselves. Parents and grandparents must step in and help them through this huge life change. Tensions mount as everyone has conflicting ideas for what is best for the young parents and their baby. Don't miss the revealing new series, Unexpected, Sundays at 10, 9 central on TLC. Stream live and catch up on TLC Go. Download the free app now. Welcome back to the Fatherly Podcast. Each week we ask our guests the same old set of questions. Good thing they're interesting, I think. Here it is, the Fatherly Questionnaire. Do you want to do the Fatherly Questionnaire? All right. You can say. Okay. If you want. You can fact check him. <laughs> exactly. Okay, it starts off easy. What is your name? Massimo. Ah, Massimo Bottura. Occupation. I'm a chef. Age. 55. How old are your children? One is uh, 17, uh, the other is uh, 21. What are their names? Charlie and Alexa. Are they named after anyone in particular? Alexa Alexandra is from uh, Lara's sister, 
and uh, Charlie was Carlo, but he was growing up and we were looking at him and he said, no, this is Charlie Brown, it's not Carlo. <laughs> so it's Charlie, it's Charlie forever. Do you have any cute nicknames for your kids? No, Lexi, we call uh, Alexa Lexi and Charlie's Chuck. What do they call you? Dad, that's it. That's not true. I call him Botto. No, I call him. Yeah, <laughs> the truth comes out. I have no, him but uh, it's not. Uh, I have him saved on my phone as boss. As boss? Yes. Yeah, so I know when boss, boss. calls, I have to answer the <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know that. <laughs> that I'm secret. the boss. It's a secret. Mom is lady boss. How often do you see them? Alexa, every couple of months. I'm always find a way to come to New York or Washington and Where do you live? Meet her. I live in Washington DC. Charlie every day. Describe yourself as a father in three words. Three words? Oh my god, this is difficult. What can I say? I say I'm uh, straight. I'm uh, tender because I'm always everything they want at the end, they have it. And this is wrong. Eh? This is wrong. Is is a no. And uh, third one, very very open to persuasion. <laughs> Straight, tender, and open to persuasion. <laughs> You're lucky. Yeah. yeah, she is very lucky. Yeah, she's yeah. very lucky. Describe your father in three words. Not open, hard, and uh, stubborn. Sorry. Yeah, it's not difficult. It yeah. was very difficult. My relation with my father was extremely extremely difficult. You know, the Anisha, because of my mom and my brother, Paolo, because my father didn't want me to do that. It was a rebellion. He wants, yeah, he wants to do, no, he wants me to do, like, take care of the company, of the family with uh, my older brother, Andrea. What was the business? Uh, oil, gas. And um, so uh, my mama, she was the one who pushed me to follow my passion. What are your strengths as a father? Hmm. What do you think? One of his main strengths is the fact that he's always encouraged us to follow our passions, which is something I, he learned from his mom. And he's also very stern and very strict sometimes. And I think that's what helps my brother and I not to get loose. What are your weaknesses as a father? I'm too tender because uh, when they come there and they kiss me and, uh, you know, talk to me, I can't say no. This is a weakness. Thoughts? I agree. Yeah. Another thing is that in recent years, obviously, with books coming out and him traveling all over, it's sometimes hard not to have him around as much. What is your biggest regret as a father? Biggest regret? Maybe not to have enough time. But it's not about how much time you devoted to your kids. It's the quality of the time you devoted to your kids. So regrets, uh, everything I do, I do for my family. And my family could be... Alexa, Charlie, and Lara, but also Osteria Franciscana. Now also all these families we have around the, the world. world. Yeah. Yeah. What is your favorite activity to do with your kids? That's your special father and kid thing. There's no special activities. For me, every single moment is something special. For example, with Alexa, when we go out and shop together, we do it once, maybe twice a year, but we have to do it in a good way. Yeah. So we have fun. And with Charlie? And Charlie is more playing together. He's part of a soccer team. I love soccer yes. as a, any Italian. I love to see Charlie growing and understanding the spirit of sport, but also the spirit of try to win, you know, right, the, the competition. competition. The last match they had, they really went very close to 
win. They usually lose uh, 7-0, right. 11-0, 11-1. But last time, you know, they start understanding this kind of spirit and, uh, you know, we had so much fun and they just lost 4-3. Uh, so it was, it was very close game. What has been the moment you've been most proud of as a parent and why? It's not one moment. I'm proud of what she does uh, in school uh, or how she's really into university. The moment in which they ask her to work for the university, mm -hmm. that means a lot. You're in Washington, the, the teacher and the school ask you. What heirloom did your father give you, if any? He was a very good businessman. He always said to me, one plus one has to always do two. It can be one. Okay, so otherwise you're going out of business. What heirloom do you want to leave for your children, if anything? The obsession about quality. That can be ideas or whatever. It's quality is, in life is very, very important. Describe the dad special for dinner. You say dad you never special, cook. Yeah. No, I never cook home, but uh, when I cook and a special pasta with pesto is uh, Charlie's favorite. That's what it is. For Alexa, it's like tortellini with broth. Are you religious and are you raising your children in that tradition? I'm not really religious. To me, religion can be a double cut. A double-edged sword. Yeah, and are you raising your yeah. children religious? I raise them uh, with a lot of respect and a lot of rules so they are reflect religion things, but not straight. They have to choose by themselves. What is a mistake you made growing up that you want to ensure your children do not repeat? I always thought that uh, I was very wild when I was a children, and, but it was a different timing. Uh, it was the 70s. Sometimes I was risking my life with uh, crazy things. And, but I see my children much better than me. They're much more responsible than me. This is very good. Maybe we transfer that. Apart from saying it, how do you let your kids know that you love them? They see. They see me in uh, every moment. How I act with them. They know I love them a lot. Massimo, thank you so much for you sitting down and talking about this stuff. Very good. Your usual that was interview. a very good uh, conversation. You know, <laughs> it's the first time I did something like that. No, I appreciate it. Alexa, thank you for <laughs> being a guest. <laughs> Stay tuned for Oh Hey Science where we talk about emotions, empirically, after a quick word from our sponsor, ADT. Home isn't just a place, it's a feeling. The feeling that you and your family are safe to enjoy the things that matter most. Whether for your home or business, ADT helps keep you safe so you can feel protected wherever you are. Not sure where to start? Try the new ADT Sekid for only $49, including a professional installation. Hurry, offer ends soon. Visit ADT.com slash podcast to learn more. 36-month monitoring contract required. Enrollment in QSP and EasyPay required only in select markets. Welcome to the studio, Josh Krish, our science correspondent, owner of a beautiful, lustrous brown beard. Thank you very much. And a father to a... how old? He's a year and a half now. Which brings us here today to talk about tantrums. Oh, Yes. The one-and-a-half-year-old tantrums. Josh, as uh, my kids are four and five, the five-year-old has tantrums. Your kid is one-and-a-half. Your kid has tantrums. Yes, he does. Tell me about tantrums. Well, I learned all about them firsthand. Yeah. So I have my 18-month-old. He was holding something terribly dangerous. I don't remember what it was. It was something that could have killed him if he put it in his mouth, and so he wanted to put it in his mouth. 
And I took it away from him. Yeah, of course. And I got to experience as a parent my first tantrum. So I watched him go through all the motions, choreographed perfectly. It was a Hollywood tantrum. He fell to the floor. He screamed. He kicked. He actually splayed out on the ground and kicked his arms and legs. And I, being your faithful... uh, (laughs) Right. First of all, I'm a proud father. I'm like, that is an excellent display of tantrum. But being your faithful science editor, my first thought was, who taught him to tantrum like that? He doesn't know other kids. He doesn't have siblings. He never watched a movie of how to tantrum. So how come he's going through all the exact same motions as the Hollywood textbook tantrum? Right. Unless he's sneaking family films. (laughs) Right. Unless he's like, when I'm not around, studying the science of tantrums. So I called somebody to find out, would you believe that everybody tantrums the same way and not just all people? Get out of here. Monkeys tantrum the same way. Apes tantrum the same way. Not just people from Western countries. Hunter-gatherers tantrum the same way. We have the same vocalizations, the same body motions, everything. We all tantrum the same. Walk me through the prototypical tantrum. So a tantrum almost always begins with anger. The anger tapers off throughout the course of the tantrum. It's a very serious tantrum. The anger can display by throwing things, hitting people, biting, kicking. If it's a minor tantrum, it might be just screaming. But there's a display of anger, and that anger peaks at the very beginning of the tantrum and then tapers off as the tantrum goes on. At the same time that that anger starts, there's an undercurrent of sadness, distress, just whining, dropping to the floor, sad behaviors. That remains consistent throughout the tantrum. The kid is sad and then they just stop being sad? Yeah, they run their course. If you leave a child alone, if a child tantrums and you turn your back and walk away, within about 5-10 minutes on average, this child will go through the process of a tantrum and come to resolution, which will end with sniffling and sadness. If the qualities of a tantrum are identical across cultures, are the causes of tantrums identical across cultures? Believe it or not, they are, and not just even across cultures, across species. One of the major triggers for a tantrum in monkeys, in chimpanzees, which are apes, not monkeys, let's say that differently. Even in primate species, the trigger's pretty much the same. In primate species, weaning. When the mother decides that the baby is not going to be sucking on the nipple anymore, she pushes the baby away, and the baby chimpanzee will drop to the floor kick his arms and legs, scream, and tantrum as normal. Same thing in humans. For example, hunter-gatherer groups, when they wean their children, there's a tantrum period that all hunter-gatherers are aware of and they learn to deal with. In our own societies, we see this too. Weaning is a major trigger for tantrums. Mm -hmm. What's the duration of tantrums usually? A normal tantrum is about five minutes. There's some debate among scientists at what point a tantrum is so long that it's pathological that we have to worry about there being a disease here. Most people say the cutoff's more like 15, 20 minutes. That's a heck of a tantrum. I can't imagine a 15 minute, 20 minute tantrum. It makes you want to destroy things. Yeah. So if it happens every now and then, your kid's fine. But if your kid is every day throwing 20 minute tantrums, that's usually a sign of a real problem. Your average tantrum is five minutes or less. More questions about tantrums. Yes. Tantra. Is the plural of tantra? I don't think tantra is the plural because tantra has a different meaning. <laughs> what is the age range for tantrums? Usually by age five or six, they've stopped. Okay. So I have like one more year. You're getting there. Tell me about what triggers tantrums. Sure. There are three types of tantrums. The first type is a demand for attention. That's hold me, look at me, watch me play a game. The second type is a demand for tangibles. Give me that candy bar. I want to put this thing in my mouth. I want to play this game right now. The third category is an escape from demand. That's different. That is, I don't want to change into my pajamas. I don't want to take out the trash. I don't want to do what my mother or father just told me to do. 
And so are the responses different based on the type of tantrum it is? Absolutely. At least the good responses are. The appropriate response is different based on the type of tantrum. If a child is demanding a tangible or demanding attention, they want something and that's why they're tantruming, then the best solution is not to give them what they want. They need to learn that this is not an effective negotiating tool. That If they want something, they're going to have to find a way besides tantruming to get it. So if a child wants a candy bar, then the solution is not to give them the candy bar. If a child wants attention, the solution is, as long as it's safe, to literally give them no attention, not even negative attention, not to punish them, not to yell at them, and to turn your back and walk away if you're in a position or in a place where you can do that safely. Because you need to show them that what they want, they cannot get this way. However, some parents think that this is the appropriate response for every tantrum. It's not. If a child's trying to escape demand, so you say, put on your pajamas, and your child throws a tantrum, ignoring them doesn't work at all. You gave them exactly what they wanted. They don't have to change into pajamas. So the appropriate response to an escape from attention tantrum, where the child doesn't want to put on the pajamas, is to force them to do it with you. You put your hands over their hands and force them to get dressed. You carry them and the trash bag out and force them to take out the trash. That is, you're showing them that you don't want to do this, then we're going to do it together. I'm going to take away your autonomy and you're going to end up doing it. It's another way of showing that this negotiating tactic will not work. Even you saying that, I think back to how I've raised my kids and my weaknesses and strengths or whatever. I do think that at age five, my son Achilles has figured out that tantruming is an effective negotiating tool for getting things. It just is a tantrum on a tantrum if we try to wean him away from tantrums. Absolutely. I guess the question I have for you is, do you have any idea whether it's reversible or not? Once a kid understands tantrum is an effective negotiating tool, can they unlearn that? Absolutely. Especially at an age like five or six when they can still learn or unlearn anything. So sure, you can teach them to do things differently. The key is really you, not the child. One of the biggest problems with tantrums is that parents tend to freak out when their kids tantrum. Yes. You're losing your patience when a child tantrums partially because it's very difficult for you to understand how this child that you raised could be acting like this. Monster demon. Right. How did my child become this? This sweet kid who I just tucked into bed at night is now tearing the house apart and acting like he's possessed. And the answer is he's sort of possessed. Your child's pre-programmed to tantrum like this. And you should understand that it doesn't mean that you're a bad parent because your child's tantruming. And it doesn't mean that your child is messed up because your child's tantruming. It means things are working properly. Even the details of a tantrum are set up to be evolutionarily ideal. I'll give you an example. Please. Anger. So when you want somebody to stop doing something to you, you're wired to display anger so they'll stop. So your child doesn't want something to happen. Your child is displaying a healthy sense of anger to prevent that thing from happening. But your child also recognizes that he needs you. He needs you to be his friend. He needs you for sustenance. He needs you for protection. So he's allowed to be angry, but he also realizes by the end of the tantrum, I need to find a way to resolve with my father. And he resolves in sadness. That's right. That's why every tantrum ends in sadness. Right. Not only that, the motions are motions of submission. The last stage of a tantrum, dropping to the floor in sadness. The, what I saw with my son where he falls flat on the floor, that is a sign throughout the entire animal kingdom of submission to a dominant animal. So your child at the end of the tantrum is saying, look, I was angry and I did what I had to do, but please let's be friends again. I'm inviting you to comfort me. It's all programmed. When you realize that it's all programmed, that the tantrum is your child learning and growing exactly as he should, you won't be as angry about it. And when you're not as angry about it, you can make a cold, calculated decision about how to handle a tantrum and prevent them in the future.
Well, I have to say, of all the episodes we've done <laughs> with Oh Hey Science, <laughs> this one is the most useful and for me, the most hopeful because I suffer amidst tantrums pretty much from the moment I walk in the door you know, every night. So thank you so much, Josh. I'll see you soon. Thanks. This episode was produced by Sandy Smollins and engineered by Matt Noble. Theme music by the flame-headed Kyle Forrester, with a vocal assist from my own little redhead, Augie Hierenstein. Make sure you subscribe to The Fatherly Podcast on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to get in touch with thoughts or suggestions or haikus, whatever, I'm JDS at fatherly.com. And since no one said they hated this tagline, here it is. That's it for me. Stay cool, dads. <laughs>